Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our first discussion for the At Home series, a three-week event here at SVG that'll cover various aspects of the whole move towards at-home production. As we know, the last two months to three months have really seen a big uptick in at-home production, some of it planned, uh, actually almost none of it planned, but it's been a great learning experience, and we have some experts involved in the industry to kind of share their thoughts with us. We have Kyle Aerosmith, who is the MLB Network Engineer, one of, I'm assuming, Kyle, correct? Yes, correct. Kurt Bose, who is the MLB Network, NHL Network's Senior Manager, Studio Engineering. David Dukes, PGA Tour Entertainment, Senior Director, Technical Operations. Greg Hopfe, PGA Tour Entertainment, VP and Executive Producer. Greg, did I, did I say that properly? You got it. All right, good. So as someone named Kirschbaumer, I get my name mispronounced all the time, so... One of my goals is always to mispronounce other people's names. And Alex Redfern, EVS, SVP, Solutions Architecture. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Great to ha see you all. Hope you're all ha happy and healthy, most importantly. Happy to be here. Nice to be here. Great. So let's yeah, get right you. into it. Um, I want to go back to the middle of March because, obviously, that was uh, an interesting time frame for the industry. MLB Network, you guys were busy getting ready for the season in the middle of spring training still. I was planning my fantasy baseball draft. The world is good. Um, Dave, uh, you know, you and Greg were obviously in the middle of the TPC Players Championship, uh, really uh, top-notch production, um, had the rug pulled out from under you, literally, in the middle of that show. And then Alex, I know you were busy, obviously, getting up for NAB, because EVS has some big plans with respect to NAB. So I wanted to start with the MLB Network. Um, you know, Kyle and Kurt, can you walk through um, sort of those early days and and sort of how you kind of responded to the immediate crisis, which was, I guess, you know, sort of what are we going to do now? So can you kind of roll through that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having us. The um, We sort of stopped production traditionally in the middle of March. So the goal was essentially to get back on the uh, what would have been opening day, which I think Kyle was with the 25th of, uh, of March, if I remember correctly. Sounds correct. Yeah. So that we sort of had a little bit of a deadline there, but we had a little bit of a window. And uh, one of the things we had it going for us was towards the end of last year, Kyle and some colleagues started looking at some alternative control room systems such as vMix, uh, TriCaster and things like that. So we had some experience uh, towards the end of last year that sort of proved beneficial. So we had a little bit of a window before, before getting started. Uh, one of our lead TDs started vMix. We, st we ended up using vMix for our production. That's what we continue to use uh, for some of the at-home productions. And he started spinning up some stuff at home testing with friends and family, in addition to Kyle and I working with the engineers on site at, at the network, uh, the limited staffing that was there with limited people in the building to try to get up a system that we could eventually transition over uh, transition over to. So that's what sort of led up to it. Um, it was a little bit of figuring out as we go, a lot of abstract emails saying, hey, can you look in here and check for this patch and throw some cables this way? And, you know, I, we haven't been back in the building since, and, um, you know, since the middle of March. So when we get back, I'm sure well, we've been uh, the, the folks in the building have just been a great job trying to decipher that abstractness and and get us on there. We couldn't have done it without the team there as well. So sure, that's sure. that's sort of how we that's how, sort of how we started out. Gotcha. Kyle, you have anything else to add to that? But that's uh, um, yeah, the, the, those technologies were were great to have to to fall back to um, and and so quickly. I mean, one of the things that we we did was just um, try it out and see see what happens and. Um, see if, if those would suit our needs in a, in a remote production. Right, right. So vMix, I know not, not a lot of people are familiar with it. I mean, it's, obviously a lot of people have become familiar with it, but for those who aren't familiar with it, what does sort of vMix bring to the table 
in terms of your operations? Uh, VMIC sort of provided us a one-stop shop for control room um, functionality, basic control room functionality, where it encompasses a switcher, an audio console, some uh, clip playback. Um, and one of the benefits of doing VMIX with a remote at home was it has its own proprietary uh, VMIX call system that allows you to take callers in similar to a Skype or a FaceTime right into the system. And that allowed for us to have talent at home uh, much more easily to bring them right in as opposed to, you know, bringing in other systems into a second system, into the VMIX system. So that's, that's worked out well. And, you know, Kyle, you can talk a little bit more about some of the TriCaster stuff we started using and the other, the NDI as well. It sort of helped out. Yeah, I mean, the, we're, we're using the TriCaster in conjunction with this to kind of create a multi-viewer and um, do some audio routing um, with uh, Dante as well to just kind of make um, the experience for those others at home, the producers, um, research, uh, graphics, and all that, so they can see um, kind of what's going on in the production um, like they would in, in studio. Gotcha. Yeah, one, so, of the, one of the things this – I'm sorry, Ken. It's okay. No, go ahead. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is this, this staff TVs are actually at home. So one of them is actually remoted. Nobody's in the building running the switcher or anything like that once it's up and operational. So the TVs are running uh, remotely into a PC that we have um, set up literally on a, folding ta on a folding table. And they are able to do all the production from home just like they were there. We gave them, uh, sent them an X keys for a quick key recall on some certain functionalities. And the way we've been running is one TD is the primary TD and somebody has been standing by helping out if needed. So if they have a, a network connection problem at their home, because we're relying on people's public internet to get this done, you know, somebody can jump right in. Fortunately, uh, we've been really good in that regard, had a couple little things here and there that would be expected with you know, somebody's internet connection blips. But uh, I think early on we had one TD who threw to a piece or put up a triple box or something, got disconnected, got, got back in right away. Beaten, and you wouldn't even note it. Well, moved right along without missing a beat. So it's, it's been quite an excellent experience, actually. Great, great. So Dave and Greg, I wanted to bring you into this conversation because, uh, Dave, we, you and I spoke um, probably on March 10th or 11th, and all was right in the world. I mean, obviously, we knew it wasn't quite fully right, but we were hoping it was going to be right enough until the following Monday. Um, so walk through that for both of you as far as that, that weekend, because you had the golf on Thursday, and it was awesome. I loved it. Um, and, we, and you had the project we'll discuss, the Every Shot Live. Um, which was also amazing and an at, really an at-home project. So walk us through that, that Thursday and then, you know, going to the Friday and just that challenge that you had. Um, so let's start with the good news on the Thursday. Let's start with, let's start with this at-home project. So can you discuss that a little bit? Because that was, Every Shot Live was, was quite amazing. So let's, let's discuss that project and how that kind of came together. Yeah. Greg, you want to go or you want me to start? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so uh, we were literally right in the middle of Players Week. Uh, uh, you know, we got the round one Thursday, fans on course. Uh, NBC was there. All of our international partners, obviously, were there on site. Um, we were doing the Every Shot Live uh, initiative, which we were really uh, uh, excited about and remain excited about. Um, unfortunately, it, it kind of got uh, uh, lost a little bit in the shuffle of, of, of everything that happened. But... Um, it was it was an, uh, a surreal time, I would say, for the week. Obviously, everybody experienced similar things. Being right in the middle of a major production was was a little, you know, uh, disappointing. Obviously, um, things obviously, as as everybody knows, were changing literally by the hour. 
uh, in terms of information coming in. That was the same day, that Thursday, that, you know, uh, obviously we started seeing all the various cancellations around the industry and the NSA tournament and, and other things started dropping. So um, it, it evolved over the course of, you know, we were going to play maybe second round without fans to quickly a matter of hours later that, that it was not happening at all. But um, it was... Um, it was disappointing, but to shift the gears onto the Every Shot Live uh, to focus on the at-home models that we're discussing here, um, really exciting project, and, and, and Greg can talk a little bit more about some of the background of it, but um, we've been working for probably 18 to 24 months, um, you know, getting ready for, for the project. We covered every single group on the course Thursday. You know, the idea was all four rounds. Um, we certainly got it all done on Thursday, um, allowing our fans both on our, uh, our platforms, um, uh, particularly PGA Tour Live platform, as well as our international audiences through various international partners to really go on and be able to select which player they wanted to watch. Um, so we had, uh, I think, up to 30 streams running uh, Thursday at its peak uh, live streams. Um, they were all being um, done, uh, largely switched through a, uh, a Hawkeye interface that uh, the guys at Hawkeye worked with us on um, uh, that, that was, was re really, really well laid out. Uh, we had 35 operators, uh, most of which were in London uh, at the Hawkeye facility that were technically your, your guys that were switching each, each group, each stream. So um, the, the Hawkeye interface that they were working with um, essentially gave them access to only the selection of, you know, four to six cameras that were covering that hole. Um, and then when they would move, you know, they followed one operator, followed one group all the way through one through 18. So as a group moved from hole to hole, that operator's interface would essentially change. When he would hit next hole and his group's moving to the next hole, he's only going to now see the cameras for that next hole. Um, and then uh, Greg and his team built um, a rundown essentially um, for each operator that allowed them to really follow a pretty consistent model of how they were covering uh, the hole so that we kind of got some consistency across those, those 25 to 30 streams. So that was built into the interface as well. So they, they would basically, the operator was able to see, here are my tee shots. Okay, after the tee shots, I'm going to go to a hole flyover. And, and as he kind of would click through that rundown, everybody's following generally the same model. Um, so that worked really, really well. I thought um, uh, as a whole, we had graphics that were pulling directly from our shot link data um, that, that were built into the same platform. Um, so uh, a selection of the operator could choose from a, a kind of a pre-selected uh, number of graphics, whether it be a, a, a hole pop or a lower third or a mini leaderboard that showed those three players, um, uh, various things like that, that he could pull up and pull out. Um, obviously all the data was being pulled directly into it from ShotLink. Um, so really exciting project. Uh, we got some really, really good feedback from it for the one round that we got done. Um, certainly excited about continuing it on uh, hopefully next year and uh, at players and then and potentially beyond. So, and Greg, I'll let you add anything you may want to add to that. But. Yeah, I think the, the format and rundown was important because the people in London, we just weren't sure how familiar they were with golf. Um, so we really made it very easy for them to follow along. Like David said, aerial after the tee shot, after second shots, go to this graphic that was evergreen. And it was a massive uh, partnership with NBC Golf Channel because what we did was we took the camera plan that NBC had from, from the uh, year prior, took our camera plan, and then we added wherever there's dark spots or moving cameras. 
So I had to actually go over to the NBC compound and during their camera meeting and their director was kind enough to let me speak to everybody about holding shots. And you have to remember these guys are 25 years of following golf balls and having someone direct them in their ear. Now they're silent and they're, they have to hold their, you know, I was asking for an on-air shot the entire time. So incredible partnership with all the cameramen and, you know, just going back real quick to that day, it just to David's point it was so surreal. Um, I drove in a compound pitch dark, 5:30 in the morning and, you know, sun up seven o'clock first tee ball. We were so excited and we literally talking all week that we thought we would be the last event we could get in because we knew a lot of things were shutting down. And around noon that day, um, commissioner Monaghan announced to everybody that we'd be doing uh, the Friday and the rest of the week without fans. So again, we, we had excitement. We're like everyone's going to want this product even more so. And, you know, I got a call from our chief media officer um, around two o'clock in the afternoon. He said, can you do a head count on what the least amount of people for PJ Tour Live would be? And I think there had been some conversations with the governor of Florida and the commissioner, and they knew there was going to be potentially like a cap on how many people could be on the grounds and that sort of thing. Um, and then 10, 10 o'clock that night, I got a call from the comms team that they were, they were going to cancel the event. So from, from 5.30 that morning, the excitement of what we were doing to, to 10 o'clock that night was, was just heartbroken for everyone who had put so much into it. Yeah, yeah. So what, what makes one more question on the, on the Every Shot Live. I mean, were you concerned at all about having things done across the Atlantic and having to get stuff there and then back in, delay, in terms of delays and latency? Um, how did that work out in the end? No, actually, it worked out really, really well. So um, Hawkeye had uh, not the same interface, but uh, Hawkeye had worked, obviously, with uh, the Masters group uh, when they did their um, kind of every shot um, uh, scenario for the previous Masters. Um, you know, they were doing it a little differently. They were doing it more of an, a VOD style where the clips themselves would get posted, um, you know, after the fact, after the shot was taken. So when we decided to do it live, we kind of had to rejigger that. But the the underlying um, um, technology that, that Hawkeye uses for their remote access is is kind of built on largely on, from the gaming industry. Um, it's it's a it's an extremely low latency. Um, so really, latency it did not present itself as as an issue at all. Um, uh, we were really impressed with, you know, uh, with that aspect of it that we had studied a little bit from what they had done with Masters. Uh, Mike Romando, uh, one of our team, uh, had worked closely with with the group up at, at Augusta when they were going through that, so he had uh, had some good knowledge about uh, about what they were doing up there. Um, and then James Jaffet and his team from Hawkeye um, really, really were great to work with in terms of kind of modifying what we needed really to do this in the, in the live aspect. And then as it, as we did it, it started to grow. And, um, you know, in terms of what we thought we wanted to present to the fans and what we could do and uh, uh, worked really, really well. So um, all the distribution was, was another kind of first for us as well that I didn't touch on earlier. So we really distributed this through all of our international partners via uh, AWS using their Media Connect product, uh, which was really the first kind of foray that we had done with that. Um, um, and that worked uh, quite well as well, because uh, depending on the international partners, some took all streams, some took a subset of streams, um, which was quite honestly one of the original ideas behind this product was it gives us the opportunity to, to really 
have our partners in specific parts of the world be able to, to focus on players that they may be interested in that may or may not be covered in the, in the normal international broadcast depending on where they happen to be in the leaderboard or, or where they happen to be sitting in the tournament. So, um, you know, for instance, you know, our Swedish partner could basically focus on, on Swedish players, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea behind that. But um, so, yeah, it was uh, to, to echo Greg, major, major effort across uh, everybody involved us, NBC, obviously, uh, the Hawkeye group, um, um, you know, all of our teams and our crews. I think we had 120 total cameras on the course across NBC and PGA Tour. About 93 of those were being used for the Every Shot Live initiative. Um, so I think we had about 63, 65 total staff just focused on ESL um, um, related to this. So really exciting product, and, and we're looking forward to hopefully continuing it. So. Sure, sure. Well, let's get to some, some good news. Um, recently, you, you both were involved with a production um, of the Skins Charity Game that featured Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, uh, Michael Wolf, and also uh, Ricky Fowler. Um, not quite 120 cameras. Um, do you want to kind of briefly walk through that show a little bit? And, and then what is that an example of in terms of the future of, again, at home and remote productions? Yeah, so right after the pandemic, um, again, our chief media officer, Ricky Anderson, called me and, and said, you know, we kind of assumed that the way sports were, at least golf would come back, would be this type of thing. It'd be two or four players, you know, not, we're not going to give out with 144-man field. So uh, we worked up a plan, a production plan, and had it ready. And it kind of dovetailed off of um, what we've done in, with our um, bonded cellular technology. We first tried it two years ago when Steph Curry played uh, in a Corn Ferry at that time web.com tour event. And it was against the PGA Championship. So PGA Tour Live didn't have the rights to that. So we're like, hey, we, we should try it. But yeah, we don't want to put the entire cost into a, what a normal PGA Tour Live event would be. So we went out there two years ago and, um, you know, it, it had its challenges. Um, there was some breakup and, you know, uh, latency and, and, audio and and you know we learned quite a bit from it david and michael Armando learned quite a bit from it and it got better and to the point where um we had some experience with this before taylor made event because we did six pga tour events with it last um last fall we did the fall events where the crowds typically aren't um as big and the fields might you know not not have like a tiger woods in it or something like that so we felt like we could we could do it a bit more cost effectively and and those would be the events to really try this technology and and it worked great last fall. Um, so then we, we did a corn ferry event in the Bahamas in January. So we were really uh, embracing the bonded cellular technology. And, uh, and then this week when we went to TaylorMade, I had six cameras, um, one plane, and we had top tracer on two of the cameras. But from the get-go, the idea for the PGA Tour and NBC Golf Channel was that we were going to do this project to raise money. And we're going to adhere to all the CDC guidelines. So the goal was the smallest footprint possible. And, you know, we had 28 uh, people on site and 23 in our building. So to do a production like that on NBC Sports with 51 people spread across three locations, if you count Mike Tirico in his home in Michigan, is a massive uh, undertaking. And, David, you can probably get into some of the precautions we took in our own building. Yeah, uh, it, it's um, obviously we're all 
you know, taking the same same precautions, whether it be in a broadcast center or whether it be on site. In this case, with Remy Productions, you're really looking at two different scenarios, depending on, you know, how you're doing the remote piece. In case of an individual working in their home, probably not so much. But if you're working from a broadcast center with multiple people, you've got the same equations that you're going through on site, obviously, to, to make sure that it's safe for everybody involved. So, yeah, to echo Greg, it was um, uh, it was really we were hyper hyper focused on really keeping the footprint as minimal as possible um, uh, on site, um, you know, and, and that really quite honestly drove the bonded cell discussion uh, as well. Um, and to Greg's point, we felt that we had had developed a, a good comfort level with it because we we had you know probably eight or ten events that we had done uh, between Corn Ferry Tour and some of our fall series events uh, already under our belt with it. Um, we'd used various um, uh, versions of the technology. Uh, we did some of them uh, with, with LiveView, um, and we've done some with, with AVI West, which uh, was what we used in the case of the TaylorMade scenario. Um, um, both, you know, perform really well. To echo what Greg was saying, it, it's, you know, you know where your drawbacks are coming into that, and, and you try to minimize them, obviously. Um, things like shading cameras, um, can be obviously a challenge uh, to say the least to do remotely. You're really not actively shading like you normally would in golf, you know, with somebody riding that, that, that iris obviously as you're doing ball follows and the camera's going up to the sky and back. So you obviously lose a little bit on that. It's really more about camera matching at that point and, and you know, more subtle adjustments. But, um, um, but really the comms have gotten much, much better across all of these systems um, in terms of, you know, it used to be a little bit of a kludge to try to try to build out comms through your phone while you were doing the bonded cell. Um, now most of it has become more integrated, um, which is, is a big help, uh, obviously, on it. Um, so, yeah, all in all, we were really, really pleased with it. Excellent. Awesome. Alex, thank you for being so patient. It's and I must say, I've noticed this over all the videos we've done the last few weeks. You know, a lot of people say the bookshelf behind you is, and that's where you kind of show off how smart you are. In our industry, I swear to God, it's all about the guitars behind you. I've seen at least five or six collections of guitars, so those are very lovely behind you. Thank you. Guitars and keyboards is, is what I've seen in the industry as well. So I, there you I go. Like exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, I don't know that one of the big things that I've heard the last few weeks as far as uh, with NASCAR coming back and with the, the golf that was done is one of the first areas where people say, well, let's try to get less people on site and the one of the first areas they say is, you know, let's see if we can do EVS replay from home base, if you will. So can you talk about what you've heard the last, you know, month or two as far as this move towards sort of remote replay operations and then, um, you know, what's next from EVS to kind of help enable next generation work? Yeah. So the EVS kind of makes sense because I think, uh, you know, generally there's maybe at one or two audio ops, there's a switcher, you know, there's, there's generally one or two of most things on site, but EVS ops, there can be 10, 15, and often they're sat shoulder to shoulder in a very confined space. So in terms of social distancing, it's a, it's a nightmare, to be honest. Um, it's also something that um, as a workflow is, is relatively easy to remote. Um, you know, it, it, you can use pretty much off the shelf technologies to do it. It's just not many people have done it before for, for whatever reason. Often the EVS ops are in the B unit or the replay unit or something like that. So they're not in the main truck. And, and it's a case of sort of starting to put distance between those two trucks effectively, the, the main console, you know, the main A unit maybe in the B unit. Um, and there were people doing it, but I think we went into these last few months knowing pretty much that the primary um, remote production method was this kind of at home where we bring all the feeds back into a building, we produce in the building, we have a switcher in the building, but we bring the feeds back. What we've seen over the last two months is a real switch to wanting to control things remotely, wanting to keep the infrastructure on site. 
um, because then you can maintain bandwidth. You know, bringing 1080p feeds back, bringing UHD feeds back is often uh, more of a challenge because you need more bandwidth. You know, you need lower latencies and things like that. Um, so if you can keep the infrastructure on site but remove the operators, it really, really benefits you. Um, and certainly if you can bring back, you know, 5, 10, 15 operators, depending on the scale of the production. So, I mean, the challenges you need to solve really are you need to bring back multi-viewers so they can see what they're doing. Uh, you need to bring back their, their hardware remote controls and it needs to be as reactive as it would be in the truck because they are, they are fast operators. You know, they're used to working very, very quickly and they're used to when they press play, the screen in front of them plays. And if there's any form of latency in that, that can you know, disrupt their flow basically, can, can change how they operate. So, we, but we've seen a shift to that model. That is really, since the middle of March, that's all anyone has wanted to talk about. Um, and we've seen, you know, as you just said, NASCAR coming back, um, this idea of, I think, I think it was described as like the replay farm, where there's right. a, a bunch of replay ops in a building, sat socially distanced where they are in pods effectively, but they're controlling servers on the truck. And that was something that we put a lot of effort into. As soon as this kind of hit, it was a case of reaching out to our customers and saying, how, how can we help? What can we do to help you? What information do you need from us? You know, what feedback can we give you? Um, and so we've, we've started testing that. It's interesting because when, you, when you're doing it from a broadcast center or from a farm, it's kind of like you, you have uh, maybe better quality audio monitoring, maybe better quality video monitoring. Uh, you, you kind of have those, uh, those facilities available to you. People have obviously wanted to do this from home, and right. that's where it gets really interesting because you, home home? you know, I mean home home. I, I mean like know. you know my my spare bedroom or my garage right. or something like that. And right. that's been the challenge, is you know I, I have a computer monitor, and I have a mesh Wi-Fi network. Well, I need cables. So how do I how do I plug it in? What's the quality of service on my internet connection? How do I you know go through security uh, protocols, VPNs, firewalls, that kind of thing to be able to connect? So we've seen a, a mass increase in the security side of things when people actually want to do this from home. You know, that, that changes everything really because yeah. it's a case of how do I connect to broadcast centers. So that's, that's been something that, um, that we've really seen an increase in. And every, every major broadcaster, I mean, across the world as well, this is not just a, a US thing necessarily. Everyone has wanted to do it. And the people who've been successful are the people who kind of just dive straight in and they're embracing off the shelf technologies. Our, our old remote, I'll talk about the new one in a minute, but our old remote, of which the market is you know, heavily reliant on, on an RS-422 remote, you need RS-422 to IP converters. Well, they're off the shelf. Honestly, you can pick them up off Amazon for a few bucks. You know, they work. They're easy to work with. The same for transporting the clip screen that the operator works with. There's three or four different ways to do it. And, and we, we, I can't say what the best solution is. It's something that is down to you know, whoever's providing the infrastructure, whoever the truck owner is, whoever the broadcast center owner is. And the same for encoding the feed. You know, I, I want that multi-viewer in front of me. I've seen people use Zoom. I've seen people use Teams. I've seen people use very expensive encoder and decoder combinations. It's really hard to say one is better than the other. But they're the kind of three problems that you have to solve. What EVS has done to make that a bit simpler is uh, a couple of days ago, we announced a release of the LSM VIA. So LSM VIA is the new remote control. It's the one that will work with the XT VIA. Um, brand new, uh, complete shift for EVS. 25 years, we've had the same remote. So it's a big deal for us. It's, it's the biggest thing the company's ever done. Um, but one of the key features of that was uh, remote production. We need to be ready for remote production. What COVID did is completely flip the roadmap, where we had said we want to be ready for to replace the existing LSM with remote production coming, you know, three, four, five, six months down the road as we sort of roll this out. 
what we had to do very quickly, like in the space of a week or so, is just say, we need, we need to flip this. This is going to go on. And as this releases in May, um, it needs to be ready for remote production from day one. So things like being uh, based on an IP network, based on Ethernet connectivity, things like having a client server architecture where the client can generate the multi-viewer, the client can generate the clip screen. I could install a, a VPN client on that mm -hmm. um, client. And then I don't need fi hardware firewalls. I don't need connectors. I don't need converters. So that's that's really where we've we've changed. We've we've put a lot of emphasis over the last well five six seven weeks, however long it's been now. I've lost track. Um, but the other thing that we've had to do as a company, as I say, is completely flip roadmaps, completely flip development cycles. Uh, really, in some respects, teach our development teams like why this is important what remote production means and what these forms of remote production mean. Um, so it's been, it's been a really fascinating time. And obviously I've been fortunate enough to, to speak to a whole range of broadcasters, a whole range of, of production companies of everything about how, about how this is going to affect them. And I think there'll just be more at home productions in the future. It's just something that we will see more of a distributed approach because that's the other, that's the other key thing is we talk about at home or remote. But actually, a lot of people who've told us they want to move into this model are talking about having an operator on the truck, maybe the lead EVS op, a couple of operators in the broadcast center, and a couple of operators at home. And they're all acting you know, in the same environment. And it's this distributed model as opposed to a true remote or a true at home. Or a, and and that's, that's been a major change. That's been something that has really um, impacted us in a, in a big way. Yeah, sure. So, so for Kurt and Kyle, as far as... Um, you know, how has this impacted your roadmaps as far as your technology deployments? And I guess the one question that Alice kind of hinted at was, you know, you have everybody working from home. So how did you kind of get everybody on the same page as far as their technical capabilities? I talked with Tab a few weeks back. He said VPNs was an issue early on. Um, what's, talk about those challenges of getting everybody on the same page when they're all working in different environments, literally. I think when Alex said it, when he was talking, it made me think of the, one of the points I had was getting people access to broadcast equipment that are not sitting out there in the public. So whether it be an EVS in general, or, you know, it could be intercom soft panels where a large Riedel installation, they, you know, they have their own software panel, but that sits, it was sitting behind the broadcast or broadcast network. Um, that's, that's one of the challenges. Uh, we've sort of worked through everyone as it comes, working very close with the IT department. It's been a really good collaborative effort. We generally work as a tight knit group anyway, but now it's been even tighter because we have to, collaborate that much more and whether you know Kyle and myself you know have access to certain things but they're somebody like our A1 who not exactly is related to the, the vmix conversation but they wanted to do some work at home as well to manage the music on our Enco music player so we got him access to his desktop PC then hopped from there to an Enco machine and then gave him a listen in the in our unity intercom to allow him to do what he needed to do he doesn't need full stereo or any, anything like that. He just a mono mix just to, to, to uh, listen to what he's doing. So things like that have sort of uh, come to the forefront and, a lot, and getting people in to access the gear they need to access that they don't normally have access to. Things like Unity Intercom has been a big one because that hangs on the public internet. So we, don't, we can rely on the end user because they're, they're flexible with as far as what it can get installed on to just install. And our tech managers put a really quick, SOP together and here's what you need to do. Here's how I need to get connected. And it's been great. And they go to a Zoom room sometimes and show people what to do. And we get on that way and people have been allowed to manage whatever gear they have to get online with, with comms in that particular case. Sure, sure. So what, what I find fascinating is 
last two to three years, we've all heard the move to IP, right? So SDI is dead. That was the big one originally. Then it was IP is good enough, but you know what? We really have to wait for 2110. And now the thing I've heard like more than ever, like the last six weeks is like, thank God for NDI. It's been like, so I'm kind of confused because I thought 2110 was supposed to do everything. So Kyle, from your perspective, you know, why has NDI, I want to say it's had a research, but I, I, I explain why it's been so important for everyone. I mean, in this. I think, I think the ease of use here has been the key. Um, it's, it's super simple to set up, you know, you plug it in, you turn it on, and then you can discover it from another device. Um, that's really helped us uh, use it in the, in the cases that we have. Um, with vMix and and just relying on that technology to to uh, yes it's compressed so uh, we can fit more down you know a smaller pipe as well so I, that those are the two main keys that have helped us out with um, this show right I think I think the one thing we found too is the Q and QC is a little challenging remotely um, you know we rely a lot on Zoom for that same ease of use you know we'll put a multi viewer that Kyle mentioned earlier that's generated in the TriCaster up on a Zoom call. So that the nice thing about Zoom is just like we're doing here, everybody can see it real easy. It's a link. Here you go. Put a password on it. Get in. Everybody can be a part of the show. Same thing with the Unity stuff. But when it comes down to, you know, did you hear a click in that audio? Is there a popping? Or did you hear that? And Kyle and I have gone back and forth a couple of times to say, hey, can you listen to this? Because I'm hearing a pop. And, and we're using uh, some technical math Mathematica encoders to look at a higher quality return feed at home the return feed is also based on the quality of my internet. So if I have a hiccup or a burp, I may not hear something, or I may hear something that Kyle doesn't. So it's a lot of back and forth. And we've gone so far in the early days of getting things set up to say to the engineer in the shop, hey, can you route up this source and listen to it on a actual QC station and, uh, we, and, and see what it sounds like? And also relying on the editors on the end result to say, hey, was this okay? Yes, it was. Hey, we heard this. So it's those type of things we've had to figure out along the way, and we've gotten to a pretty good groove on, on knowing what's correct and where to actually check for the to be most correct, I guess would be the best way to say it. Sure, sure. Well, Alex, can you kind of t touch on that a little bit? Because obviously, the last two to three years, um, you know, EVS has sort of transformed into a company that does a lot more than simply just the replay devices, um, and there is a lot of emphasis on quality control and you know, network quality. So, can you talk about some of those tools that have been kind of coming out, and also the Axon? acquisition where that kind of fits in because a lot of people in the US are not quite as familiar as people are in the UK and in, in Asia and the rest of yeah the so 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 just to start with Axon the EVS acquired Axon about a month or so ago um, Axon are an infrastructure company uh, media infrastructure basically so it's it's routing it's glue it's um, you know multi viewers and, and router control um, and that's really interesting for us because we've always had a, a product to be able to, that, that is the SDN layer that sits above the switch fabric. So when we talk about routing 2110, that's where that sits above the switch fabric. But without having the control layer above it, the actual hardware panels, the actual sort of interface to, to press buttons, um, it was always a struggle to bring that to market. So that was quite a, a tactical acquisition, let's say. It was, it was very, a very complimentary. Um, there's no crossover between any of the products and it sits really nicely around that 2110, uh, that IP routing layer. Now, what's interesting is you touched on it earlier, the idea of the compressed flows. Um, that's something that we have had to change our ideas on pretty quickly of, you know, we, we still value 2110. It still seems to be the way it scales well. It's what everyone seems to be going for in fixed facilities. But when we start talking about remotes, the idea of supporting compressed flows both to be able to route them like you would route SDI, like you would route um, 2110, as well as to be able to process them, to, to run them through glue, to, to run them through into servers and things like that is something that we've had to do a complete about turn on. Because 
NDI, SRT, you know, they were always thought of, I, I think, as sort of a bit more pro AV or a bit more sort of lower level, a bit, a bit below the broadcast industry. And suddenly they are here, they're here to stay. And everyone is saying, yeah, we, we'll probably keep using them. They're, they're quite interesting to us. Uh, maybe we won't use them on the same scale as we will SDI to, to 2110. And I'm unsure if I'm seeing people at the moment want to transition from like an SDI, you know, 1024 by 1024 SDI router to something that does that scale of NDI. But um, we're, we're certainly seeing that with 2110. Right. But to be able to support those compressed flows is, is, you know, really, really, really important to us at all bandwidths as well. You know, because we can be talking about six meg H two six four all the way up to sort of JPEG XS, J2K, NDI, you know, much higher, potentially much higher bandwidths, but still much lower than twenty one ten. Right, right. Great. So so Dave and Greg, I mean, obviously the at TPC you showed the the players, you showed sort of some sort of these new at home workflows. Um, one of the shows that has always been said you can't really do at home, you've always heard this also. If the show's too big, you really gotta be on site, you can't really do it from remote locations. But um, I don't know what you can talk about as far as next month with uh, hopefully getting the return of golf. But it sounds like you are believing in, the, in this new era of decentralized operations, distributed backups, all kinds of things. Uh, anything you can talk about that, those workflows at this point um, at all? Go ahead, David. Yeah, I, well, I was going to say um, in, in terms of the specifics with uh, obviously the tour has been working very closely with CBS. Um, um, as far as when we return on June 11th and then, you know, obviously for the events following that. Um, I, I don't know that I can get into a ton of specifics. It's uh, Greg may have a little bit more information on that aspect of it, but generally speaking, Ken, from my perspective, and then I'll let Greg pick up, uh, you, you're absolutely correct. I think, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to start looking at these and, and you know, un, as unfortunate as an incident like this that's facing the world is right now, it, it is uh, providing a little bit of a, it may be an overstatement to call it an evolutionary leap, but it's certainly advancing what was already in motion uh, with regard to, you know, researching at-home workflows, doing at-home shows, smaller shows. Obviously, it's gotten into larger shows by necessity. So Correct. I think that ultimately is, is going to be the legacy of this is it's going to advance all of that. And then I'll let Greg kind of chime in more specifically on, on the planning for, for Colonial when we return in June. Yeah, no, obviously if you probably can't speak specifics, but you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I guess right. that's what we're dealing with here. Right. We're, uh, we're on calls with CBS because as you know, before the pandemic, we PG Tour Entertainment shares the compound and infrastructure with the host network. So we're sharing signals, we get their camera signals, we share power, we share uh, tracing. Um, so we're in conversations with them about what is their going, what is CBS's uh, testing and screening procedure going to be? What is the 58 something people that do PGA Tour Live? What are, how are we going to screen? And more importantly, if, you know, how are we going to share signals? Um, so we're talking to Mike Francis um, and Patty Power about, you know, how, how do our teams coexist in that compound and, and in a safe and efficient manner? That's, that's really our main concentration right now. And then back at, at PGA Tour Entertainment, we were spread out across several rooms for the tailor-made event. It's probably not practical as we start to roll back into the building a little bit with some post people in there. Um, so how do we stay safe in the building, glass partitions and things like that? And then as far as like what we've learned and what David touched on, is that I think we've proven um, not only in the fall, but with Sunday that, that there is a place for this type of production, especially if you look at like a corn fairy or our champions tours. Um, 
I think those are perfect models. I'm sure the, the, the baseball guys use, you know, the minor leagues as their testing ground for things. And, and I think that this is something that we can definitely carry into and possibly get more, you know, corn fairy events on television because of it. Right, right, right. Well, Kurt and Kyle, uh, let's just uh, to close out. Um, so how many people right now are on your quote unquote remote network or working remotely from home? How many people are, are sharing editing systems and servers and, so I did a quick count of what we were using this morning um, in a traditional show. As far as people doing the actual show through vMix, we're looking at low 20s, not including the editors. I'm not quite sure how many editors uh, they have deployed for it, but it's, and that's not including, I know there's an acquisition operator who's at home setting up records and things like that, in, like master control, but just the people who are actually doing the actual recording of the show was in the low 20s. Gotcha. including Kyle and myself, we usually, and there's, you know, like I mentioned before, two TD. So we're usually around in case there's an issue or anything like that to help out with. Right. Great. Excellent. Sort of like, sort of like just supporting like we are in the, in the building, actually, it's very, been very similar. You know, we're just not there. We're just in a zoom room sort of hanging out and the TDs are there and other people can jump in and out of tech manager and say, Hey, we're, we're, this is coming up or we got this or we can, you know, catch up just like almost the zoom room was jokingly. One of the tech managers said it's sort of like a virtual desk. Right. You know, everybody comes around the, the cube, so to speak, or virtual cube and just have a conversation just like you normally would. We're just scattered across uh, everybody's homes. Sure, sure. Well, I thank all of you for uh, joining us today. Obviously, it, um, cannot wait for baseball. Even if it comes back September 1st, I'll take it. Give me a month. Um, and obviously, golf, high on my list, so hopefully it all comes back. I know Alex is in the same boat. We're all rooting for all of you to get back to normal. Alex, uh, get back to celebrating your anniversary. Thank you for joining us because it is it is evening time where you are right now, so appreciate that. And uh, everybody stay safe, please. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. Guys, stay safe. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.